The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. We've been considering the kingdom of heaven and particularly zoning in on the parable of the sower and the uh, lessons in that parable of the kingdom of heaven. And we'd like to continue that thought, but before we go there, I want to go to John chapter 18 first. Uh, very blessed services yesterday at New Prospect during the morning service and then the, uh, the afternoon, the ordination of Brother Ben Shettles. And uh, Brother Charles Kitchens was very blessed with a message uh, yesterday, stirred a lot of thoughts in my mind, but uh, that's why I love listening to good preaching is because I can hear a different perspective on some things that I hadn't noticed before, and I've been going to this verse so much uh, here in John 18 and verse 36 in our consideration of the, the kingdom of God, but I had missed this point until Brother Charles highlighted that, and I wanted to, to note that this morning. John chapter 18, he's here before Pilate, and... Um, he says there, and the pilot says in verse 35, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? I mean, you're here for a reason. I mean, they're trying to crucify you for a reason. What reason have you given your kindred to kill you? What, re what, what could have possibly happened if you're, uh, from my perspective, you're innocent? From my perspective, I can't find any fault in you. What could you have possibly done to make people that are your natural kindred want to take your life? And that's when he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight? Then I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. I was studying out this week and, and delivering a uh, message that will eventually be on the radio of our enemies and the world, uh, our enemy of the fallen world system apart from God. And it's just a reality that the world hated Jesus, okay? The world hated Jesus and it killed Jesus. And therefore, if we're going to be followers and disciples of Christ, if the world hated Jesus, the world's going to hate us. He told them that. The world will hate you. And that really stood out to me there uh, in this, this passage. What have you done that, that these Jews, he came to it his own, his own received him not, what have you done to make them want to kill you? And he said, I came preaching the kingdom. And boy, those scribes and Pharisees, you know, look at the Sermon on the Mount, right? He was tearing down their power and their control and their authority, and he was setting up a new kingdom, and they hated it so much, they wanted to kill him. So that emphasizes how challenging it is for us to press into this kingdom here in the world, right? Because even the Son of God came and set up his kingdom, and men not only rejected his kingdom, but hated his kingdom so much they wanted to put him to death, okay? Let's go to Matthew chapter 13 and consider the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils. And we've made our way today, Lord willing, to uh, the stony ground. We've talked about some that don't have the ability to hear the word, those that 
only have natural ears with no ability to understand spiritual things. And the wayside, one of the most important things to take away from the wayside is their problem. They're children of God. They hear the word, but their problem is they don't understand it. Okay? They don't understand it. And now we'd like to focus on the stony ground. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 3. Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. And some fell upon stony places. Now notice this language of the problem with the stony ground. We're going to come back to this. They fell upon stony places where they had not much earth. Forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root and they withered away. And then he goes on to describe the thorny ground and the good ground. Now skip down to verse, um, verse 18. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, this is the, the wayside, you hear the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart, this is he that receives seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word and anon, or immediately, receives with joy receive it. Okay? So not only do they hear the word, they receive it with joy. And joy is a fruit of the Spirit, right? Yet... This is the problem. Yet hath he had no root in himself, but dureth or endureth for a time. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. Okay? <clears throat> now let's go to Luke's account of this in Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8. <clears throat> First of all, note in verse 6, some fell upon a rock or the stony ground, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away. Why? Because it lacked moisture. It lacked moisture. Okay? Skip down to verse 13. Actually, no, notice in verse 12, we highlighted this last week. Those by the wayside, they hear the word, children of God, have a heart, Regenerated heart with spiritual ears to hear. They hear the word, but before they can really understand the gospel and lest they should believe and be saved, they, they receive that peace and the assurance and the power that comes in the gospel. Before then, Satan deceives them. But notice, these people did not receive and believe and confess that gospel publicly because Satan deceived them first. But now this, these stony ground people, they do. Okay, verse 13. They on the rock, those on the stony ground, which when they hear, they receive the word with joy, and these have no root. That's another problem with them. Okay, They have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. In time of temptation fall away. So the first thing we have to understand about the stony ground is that they hear the word, right? They believe the word. That's what it says there in Luke. They believe the word. And they receive the word with 
joy and gladness, it says in Mark. So they receive the word of God and the gospel with joy and gladness. And certainly it is evident that that can only be describing a child of God, right? Because joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And, and the, uh, the gospel is the savor of death unto death to them that are dead, but it's the savor of life unto life uh, for those that have life. So it's evident if they respond this way to the gospel, they believe it, they receive it with joy, they've never, you know, the child of God that's been walking around his whole life burdened down because he, he sees God's law, maybe he reads the Bible, and he, he thinks that he has to do something to go to heaven, but he reads the Bible, and he says, there's no way that I can meet this standard of righteousness, and he knows that in his heart. And he's right. His heart's right. You can't meet that standard of righteousness. But, but he, he is burdened down with this yoke of bondage his entire life. And then all of a sudden somebody comes and tells him, it doesn't have anything to do with you. Salvation has, eternal salvation is finished by the blood of Jesus on the cross. It is finished. It is done. And somebody finally tells him that. And he said, that's what I've been looking for my whole life. Finally, that yoke of bondage is taken off of his neck, and boy, he is, he is uh, as he says of the Galatians, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you. They finally feel that liberty. But we need to understand how susceptible God's little children are in those early infant stages of their walk of discipleship, right? How are they described? They're described as being babes in Christ. Boy, there's a lot of perils to a little bitty baby, isn't there? Especially when they're still nursing. He describes being babes in Christ and you're still uh, partaking of the milk. Well, a nursing baby is in a very dangerous position, right? If left to themselves. Now, there comes time where they partake of that milk and they grow to meat and they grow to maturity and then they can make more wise, discern, discerning decisions, right? But those young babes in Christ that don't yet understand, they are so, you know, Satan is attacking the people who haven't believed and joined the church, right? That's what happened in the wayside. But we know that Satan's attacks do not stop after baptism. That's when it started, right? You remember that Jesus was, was baptized to, uh, to fulfill all righteousness? And what happened immediately when the Son of God was baptized? He went and was tempted 40 days in the wilderness by the devil, okay? We need to understand how susceptible these children of God are when, when they haven't developed a strong, deep root system, okay? We're going to come back to that. But these four categories of, of soils here in the parable of the sower, the majority of Christianity would say that only the good ground are children of God. Okay? Why? Because they're putting too much emphasis on their works, particularly the stony ground. Particularly stony ground. You notice that language there that it says, lest they should believe the gospel and be saved. Now, those are people that are never going to join the church, but we also need to understand the reality. Not only are all four of these children of God, but three out of the four are church members, right? The stony ground, they believe. 
They, they are baptized. They're on fire for the Lord. But then they have some challenges that cause them, at least for a period of time, to fade away. Now we need to be reminded, right, <clears throat> that this is describing the response to the gospel for a child of God at a moment in time, okay? That you are not absolutely predestinated uh, to be the stony ground your whole life. No, many people have the testimony that they believe the gospel, they got excited, they make the changes, uh, or attempt to make the changes, they have problems, they, they fade away for a minute, but then the Lord works on them and they repent and they come back. Many people have that testimony. So you're not guaranteed to be a stony ground person your entire life. But understand how susceptible these people are to falling away. And especially the stony ground, the majority of Christianity would view this in one of two ways. If you believe in free will, who, you know, Primitive Baptists, we describe all them as Arminians, but the funny thing is people that we would call Arminians have no idea what that means nowadays, so it's not really valuable <laughs> to even use that language. People who believe in free will. God loves everybody. Uh, it's an offer of salvation. It's up to you to choose. Uh, that's who we call Arminians, but they don't even know they're Arminians. So uh, free will, people who believe in free will. And, and, the, and many of them, depending on who you talk to, you have to do something to get, to get saved. But then there's a difference of opinion on can you lose your eternal life, okay? Which it just doesn't make a lick of sense, you know, for anyone to say, <laughs> I have eternal life, but then... I can do something to lose my eternal life. I'm not even going to waste your time talking about that because it just doesn't make a lick of sense. But uh, the, the more prevalent, especially today, uh, the more prevalent doctrine in Christianity is a version of free will or backhanded Calvinism that says that if you don't do some metric, some quota, some requirement, if you are not, in my opinion, persevering in good works to a good enough degree, then that means that you're a false professor. And you want to look at for exhibit A in their mind of who the false professor is, it's the stony ground. It's the stony ground. Why? Because they believe, but then they fade away. Now understand, this can only be talking about a child of God, okay? Because they receive it with joy. They receive the gospel with joy. But the problem is they're not established and strong in the manner that they ought to. And then the Calvinist would say that if they fade away, if they do not persevere in good works, then that is evidence that they were never among God's children to start with. And then whichever one of those you talk to, they're definitely going to make their way to Matthew chapter 7. And there's this large group of people that think they're saved, that think they're going to heaven, but they're going to come there uh, on the judgment day and, and then they're going to find out that they thought their whole life they were going to heaven and God's going to pull the rug out from under them and say, no, actually, I never knew you. Actually, you're going to hell. And then they go here in Matthew chapter 7 to say there, there are all these false professors walking around here, all these stony ground false professors, these members of churches that have believed, but then they, they fell away and that just proved that they were never among God's children anyway. Listen. We spend a lot of time here in verses 13 and 14 talking about the straight gate and the narrow way and the perils and how difficult it is to live that life of godly discipleship. And then right after that, he gives the arguably uh, the most dangerous thing for a child of God to fall away 
and to be enticed to go in the broad way. What, what is one of the most dangerous things for a child of God to be uh, deceived to fall away from steadfast discipleship? False prophets and false teaching. Okay? So what does it immediately say after the straight gate versus the wide gate? He says, beware of false prophets. This is the context. Beware of false prophets which come unto you in sheep's clothing, but inward we are, inwardly are ravening wolves. This is not talking about struggling children of God that love the Lord, but they struggle with sin. This is talking about wolves in sheep's clothing. And then we'll, we'll highlight this a lot more in depth when we look at the parable of the wheat and the tares. But he says, look, eventually, if you give that wolf enough time, if you give that wolf enough time, his actions are going to be manifest. Okay? Now he goes down here in verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have we not cast out devils? And in thy name hath done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And this text is used so commonly to make a child of God doubt their eternal salvation. Which, by the way, if you put your confidence in eternal salvation in something you've done. Notice there. Uh, have we not prophesied in your... They're putting confidence in things that they have done. Okay? If you put your confidence in that, you're always going to be disappointed. Your conscience is never going to be happy. Okay? But this is not talking about struggling children of God. It's talking about wicked, false prophets that... You know, you remember back in the day when Moses and uh, Moses and Aaron came back to Egypt and they did miracles, and there was a period of time where those wicked Egyptian sorcerers, they did the same thing, right? You remember Satan, he says he transforms himself into an angel of light. Satan had a whole bunch of false apostles in the first century, and Paul had to call them on the carpet and stick the finger in their face and say, you are a false apostle. Satan did that. Now, these men are not sincere that they love the Lord. No, they, they were just going through the pretense of this their entire life. And I really don't want to take the time to spend too much time on this this morning. But really, there are very few examples, very few, of what the Scripture would affirm to be false professors in the New Testament. I think you can make a very strong case with Judas. You know, Judas Iscariot, Jesus called him a devil, and that's good enough for me. But he cast out devils. This is the kind of language, if Judas is not elect, this is the kind of language that he would use. But the fact of the matter is, he never called Jesus Lord one time. He called him Master one time, which meant Rabbi. But he never exhibited any good fruit at all. But he, he hung around with the right crowd, and he cast out devils. And then you look at Acts chapter 8 of Simon Magus, who saw that the outpouring of the Holy Ghost was done, and he said, how much can I pay you for me to be able to do this? I think you can make a strong case for Judas Iscariot and Simon Magus. 
But do you understand, those are, at least in my opinion, the only two examples of false prophets or, or uh, false professors that meet this category in the entire New Testament. So you think like half the saved people are walking around? Half of people who think they're going to heaven? Is there a small minority of people who will try to give the pretense of serving God for their own uh, wicked devices? Yeah, it's a reality, but it is a very, very, very small percentage. So for a minister, praise God, I've never been in this these rooms, but I've heard other ministers that were, that, that one minister that stood up and said, it is my goal tonight to make every single one of you doubt if you're going to heaven. Now, I'll tell you, that person is not a preacher. They're a speaker, but that person needs to be taken outside and tarred and feathered. That is not the purpose of the gospel. The purpose of the gospel is to provide comfort and assurance, and it means something to God's children, and it doesn't mean anybody, it doesn't mean anything to people that aren't. The, the, the goal of the preacher is not to stand up and make you doubt if you're going to heaven. The purpose of the gospel is to preach it, and it provides power and assurance and faith and salvation to God's children. It doesn't mean anything to the non-elect, okay? So the idea that there are all these false professors running around that think they're going to heaven, but they're not really saved, and then there's going to come a day where they, they think they're going to heaven, and they stand before the Lord, and he's going to say, I never knew you. You're going to go to hell. And again, exhibit A of that for people who hold that false teaching would be the stony ground Christian. Okay? But the reality is, the reality is that God's children can fall away. That's the language it used, right? This is the discussion. Can God's children fall away from steadfast discipleship? But just think about that language. If you fall away, away means there's somewhere you're supposed to be, and now you're not there anymore. Do you, do you, uh, do you know too many dead people who fall away? Is there, is there much falling away in a graveyard? What, what are we in our nature? Dead and trespassing? You know, lost. You know, pe people read in the, in the New Testament all throughout the Bible, you know, these lost people. And we need to go save these lost people. Well, from my study of Scripture, the, every time that the word lost is used, it's talking about God's children. Lost gives, an, gives the same indication. There's a place you're supposed to be, but now you're not there anymore, right? Lost sheep. You're supposed to be in the flock, but all of a sudden you're not in the flock. A lost coin. You're supposed to be in the owner's pocket, but I can't find it anymore. It's not where it's supposed to be. A lost son. He's supposed to be in the father's house, but he's down there in the pig pen, right? So a lost means you're supposed to be somewhere, but now you're not where you were supposed to be. Lost always talks about God's children. And how can a dead in trespasses and sin unregenerate person fall away? They're dead. How many dead people fall? If you're going to fall, you have to have the ability to walk, don't you? <laughs> you have to have the ability to walk to have the ability to stumble. You're supposed to be in one. How can you fall away if there's not a place you're supposed to be at? I mean, just the language of falling away clearly shows that that's talking about God's children, right? You have to be able to walk to fall. You, you're, there's a place you're supposed to be, and now you're not there anymore. So God's children, if they are not rooted and grounded in the Word of God, 
They are so susceptible. And that's why uh, in Matthew 18, when Jesus is talking about, except you be converted and become as little children, you, you will know why I in the kingdom of heaven. He said, look, if you offend one of these little ones, and that's just not talking about people sinning under. That's talking about babes in Christ. There could be a 60-year-old who's a babe in Christ. And if you offend one of these little ones, he said, look, it's better for you that a millstone be hanged about your neck and you'd be drowned in the bottom of the sea. Why? Because they're so vulnerable. These little bitty lambs, these little bitty sheep are so vulnerable. And especially if a child of God, I mean, the, the world and the flesh and the devil and everything else is bad enough uh, that, that they're having to overcome all of that. But how horrible is it for a child of God to say things that are going to discourage them. That's why he says, look, you're in a bad shape if you offend one of my little bitty babes in Christ, one of these little bitty lambs, and you cause them to err. But they are so susceptible. They are so susceptible. Um, first of all, <clears throat> can a child of God fall away from steadfast discipleship? Galatians chapter 5. These are people... Uh, at the Galatian church that had believed the gospel, they had felt the power and the salvation that we have in knowing what Christ has done for us. And, but now they were being enticed to go back to say Christ's word wasn't good enough. We have to add something to it. We have to add circumcision. We have to add the law. We have to add works. And he says, don't be enticed. And where did that false doctrine come from? It came from Satan. It came from false prophets, right? Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Why? If you felt liberty. You know, these people, in a, this is in a, in a societal or, or a national context. But if you've, if you've had liberty, why would you want to give up that liberty to the government? If you felt liberty, why would you want to voluntarily say, I want to stand back up and I, I really like bondage. But... but you don't, you don't think God's people can get confused? That's exactly what they said when they got out in the wilderness. You know what? Let's go back to the bondage of Egypt. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Why would you want to go back to the bondage of Egypt when you felt liberty? It just doesn't make any sense. And these children of God had felt the power of the gospel. And he said, look, don't go back to putting a yoke of bondage around your own neck. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Profit you nothing. I want you to notice all these pronouns. This is important. To have the right context of what this is talking about. This has no bearing on if the blood of Christ was shed for them in heaven, and they're going to be in heaven with the Lord at the end of time. That has no bearing on it, does it? it has, he has no effect to you. You're going to lose the power and the assurance of the gospel if you say Christ isn't good enough. I testify to you, to every man that is circumcised. You think you can just do circumcision? Got news for you. You've got to do the whole law. He's a debtor to do the whole law. You can't pick and choose. You can't say, uh, and that, that's why salvation by works never works, right? Is because you can't just do one thing. You have to be perfect. You can't just pray one prayer. You've got to be perfect. And no man's perfect. Christ has become of no effect. Notice this language. It's important. No effect Unto you has the death of Christ, children of God that have not believed him in the manner that they ought to, children of God that looked him in the face, even during his life, and looked at him, and not until after his resurrection, and said, I don't believe in you, 
did that have any bearing on the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on their behalf to save them from their sins? No. But it had a lot of effect to them, right? Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. Why are you fallen from grace? This is in Romans chapter 5. What is the effect of justification by faith? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have been reconciled and made at peace with God through nothing more than the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But how do we feel the comfort and the assurance of the reality of eternal salvation? By us placing our faith solely in Jesus Christ. But if you place your faith in your obedience of the law, then you lose access. Verse 2, by whom we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. So these Galatians had, had entered in by faith in Christ alone to the gospel kingdom, and they had access to all this grace. All the assurances and the peace of this grace. But now they, they were saying, you know what? Actually, now that we think about it, Christ wasn't good enough. We really need to obey the law. He said, look, you are losing out on these gospel blessings and the access of grace that you have to protect. And in that context, they had fallen from grace. Now, had they fallen out of grace eternally? Had they fallen out of the hand of the Father that there is no one that can pluck them out of it? No, of course not, right? But they had lost the power and the assurance of the gospel, you see? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. And uh, anyone that would want to say that the stony ground Christian is a false professor, then they would immediately go to Hebrews chapter 6. And just like with the parable of the sower, where th this child of God received the gospel with joy, these, this description of this person here in Hebrews chapter 6 that had fallen away, that's in a dreadful, horrible state, you just simply have to rest the scriptures to manipulate them to say something other than what it plainly, clearly says. So these people, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 4, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of the Lord and tasted the powers of of the world to come. If they fall away, if they fall away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, saying they crucify to themselves. That's important, right? They crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to open shame. The earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from the Lord, but that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing whose end is to be burned. And that's heavy. That's heavy. Unfortunately, I've been around long enough to see men, women, faithful ministers even, that they serve God faithfully, but they were enticed by sin and they fell away. They fell away to varying degrees. And there are some people that I've done my best to tell them this is the course of action that you're on. This is the broad way that leads to destruction. Repent. Turn. But there comes a time, particularly with church discipline, for the health of the body, 
The language it says in 1 Corinthians 5 is you turn them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And there comes a point where you labor with them, you labor with them, you labor with them, but there comes a point where you say, I've done all I can do. There is no person that is beyond repentance of the Holy Spirit. No person. But it is impossible for you to bring them to repentance. When you've labored with someone, and, and I'll tell you, if you have, ta- I mean, what this is the kind of abundant life that I want to live. I mean, people that say, well, no, this is, this, you're going to Greek, Greekify it and try to have all of these, uh, not, this is not what the word means and all this kind of garbage to say it doesn't mean what it means. If this is the, the state of unregenerates, this is the kind of life that I want to live. I mean, this is what I want. What do I want? I want to be enlightened. I want a taste of the heavenly gift. I want to be a partaker of the Holy Ghost. God won't give that to unregenerates. Why would he be wasting his time giving all of this to unregenerate? This is, this is the abundant life right here. Tasting of the good word of the Lord. Tasting of the powers of the world to come. That's what I want. And that's the, that is part of what the stony ground child of God feels when that power of the gospel first comes unto them. And I'll tell you, to whom much is given, much is required. That's another reason why the Lord is so harsh with these. If you get it, boy, I'll tell you, we have been given so much in the knowledge of the gospel and we have not used it appropriately. And, and there are ignorant children of God that are way better than we are. Boy, they got all the spirit in the world, but they don't have near as much truth as they need. And we've got the truth, but we don't have hardly a lick of spirit. There are children of God that feel this so much more than us. And if you felt it, if you have the knowledge of what Christ has done for you, and, and you have felt it, and you've tasted it, and you have been entrusted with that, and then you say, you know what, it doesn't really matter. I'm just going to go home. I'm going to forsake it. This is later in Hebrews. I'm going to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I'm not going to come to church. I'm not going to fellowship with the saints. If you choose to do that, Boy, you are in severe judgment of Almighty God. Because that is dishonoring to the blood of Jesus. It's dishonoring to the church. It's dishonoring to Christ. And you labor with them, and you say, you are, you are falling away. I can see you falling away. I can see you engaging in this life of sin. And then you try to pull them back, and they ignore you, and they ignore you, and they ignore you. This is what the Word of God says. And they ignore you. There comes a time where you say, you know what? If they ever come back, it's going to have to be the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what this is saying right here. Okay. Now, <clears throat> this language of falling away, which by the way, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We need to understand that if we are not vigilant in our discipleship, we can, and to a large degree, we will fall. We will fall. This idea that God has pre-programmed obedience to persevere in faith and holiness, part of the package of, of the new birth, part of the calling is that there's no way that a child of God can ever fall away. And if they do, that just means they're a false professor. That is very dangerous doctrine for a child of God. And I'll tell you, that is going to be a prime target for Satan. Why? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and in verse 12, 
Wherefore, let him that thinks he standeth take heed lest he fall. If you think that there's no ability for you to fall, well, you better watch out. You just put a target on your back from Satan. Even the Apostle Paul, we would look at him. There's no way that he could ever fall away. He said in the very previous chapter, I keep my body, verse 27, I keep my body under subjection and bring it, uh, I keep under my body and bring it under subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should become a castaway. He said, if I don't keep my body under I have the same lustly, fleshly, sinful desires as every other child of God has when they still have the old man. And if I don't mortify those deeds, he said, I can make shipwreck of my life. That word castaway right there means disqualified. I have unfortunately seen ministers that have totally disqualified themselves from the authority. I'm not saying they're not children of God. They may be in heaven at the end of time, but they have no authority to teach publicly in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because of the, they did not keep their body under subjection. They have lost the authority and the privilege of standing in that role of responsibility. And you want to know the first danger of that is pride. We know in the book of Proverbs, don't we? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before, you, before a fall, wherefore that thinks he standeth. Well, that's pride, isn't it? Peter. What did Peter say? God, uh, the Lord said, you're going to deny me. And he was so prideful, he said, Lord, I'll never deny you. Never. Never. Now, all the rest of these guys might. <laughs> what? You, you start, not only, not only are you prideful in yourself, but then, this is the Pharisee coming out. I'm better than all the rest of these people. They may deny you, but there's no way I'm going to. What did he do a couple hours later? He denied the Lord, right? If you think you can't fall, you better watch out. Satan's coming after you. Satan's coming at you hard. Wherefore, that thinks he standeth, take heed lest he fall. So this idea that a child of God can't fall, you're putting the, you're putting the sheep in a very dangerous position. Very dangerous because they're not going to be sober. They're not going to be vigilant. Why do they need to be sober and vigilant? Because your adversary, the devil, the roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And by the way, who's he using to try to devour you? Wolves in sheep's clothing that we talked about earlier, right? That's why you got to be sober, be vigilant. Now, these stony ground Christians... have no deepness of earth. They don't have stability. The longer we grow, just like, just like in, a, in a child sense, you start out with milk, you grow on milk, and then you progress and you mature on to meat that allows you to grow stronger. Well, it's, it's obvious that when the first person, when you're baptized, you don't have great depth of a root system yet, do you? It takes time. It takes nourishment and no moisture, right? It takes nourishment for that root system to grow down and deep. But they're so zealous, these stony ground children of God are so zealous that they want to put these things in practice in their life, but, they're, but they don't have the maturity and the strength in God's word to be able to withstand the inevitable persecution and temptation that comes. It says here in 1 Peter chapter 4, that this is, this is who you used to be, but then you decided you were going to repent from that, which is what God's children ought to do. For the time past of our life may suffice 
uh, to have wrought the will of Gentiles, which we walked in lasciviousness and lust and excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and uh, abominable idolatries. That's who we used to be. But now I'm, I'm not going to live that life anymore. But then wherein they think, it, this is who your running buddies used to be. They think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot speaking evil of you. See, now that's what happens. Remember, why are the stony ground people, why are they enduring tribulation and persecution? For the word's sake. They hear the gospel, they read the word of God, and oh, wait a minute. I'm not supposed to be cheating on my taxes. I'm not supposed to be living with people outside of marriage. I'm not supposed to be coveting. I'm not supposed to be, oh, wait a minute. I've got to put away all that stuff. And when you start doing that, it's going to cause friction with the people who don't have a conviction of that, right? And they're not strong enough. They're not stable enough. They don't have an even up roof system. And when people start persecuting them for implementing the word of God in their life, what do they do? They cave. They fall away. This is not even necessarily talking about such as the, uh, the Galatian church. Um, this is not talking about their rejection of the gospel. You know, I don't necessarily think that the stony ground person that he doesn't believe in grace anymore, <laughs> he may still believe in grace. The problem is he's not living out discipleship as boldly as he ought to. Why? Because now all of a sudden he realizes, oh, wait a minute, when I start shining my light, the people who are in darkness don't like it. How about that? <clears throat> so that's the same thing Jesus did, right? He shined his light, and the people that were in darkness, they sure didn't like it. And they start doing that. They start shining their light, and then all of a sudden, the people that are in darkness that I thought were my friends, now all of a sudden, they hate me. And they're not strong enough, which, by the way, that's why it's so important to have the right stability and structure in the church because they need to understand you're not alone you do have people that are going through the same challenges. You do have people that love you. You do have people that can teach you in God's word. That's why you have to be in the community of the church. That's why you cannot be a healthy, successful, vibrant Christian by clicking a button on a computer and watching a live stream. Okay? You can't. There's a place for that for people that are in very limited circumstances but you are hurting your overall Christian spiritual life. And what are you going to do if you isolate yourself from the body? What are you going to do when Satan attacks you? You see? That's why God gave us a flock. That's why God called, let's go to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. That's why God called under shepherds to protect you and to be a watchman on the wall and to notify you when danger is coming, but also to strengthen your root system to where you can be stable and strong. He says here, uh, you, you, you gave gifts unto men and all of these, these gifts of the gospel ministry, particularly pastors and teachers. But what's one of the main purposes of God doing that? Verse 14 of Ephesians 4, that we be henceforth no more children. You need to be growing up to maturity. We're not children anymore, but notice this, this imagery. Toss to and fro with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. 
That's the, that's the false prophet that's trying to deceive that, that vulnerable new convert, you see? What is the protection against that? The ministry, the Word of God, the church, being in the place where God is blessing His minister to strengthen the body. Uh, I want to highlight a few verses very quickly in regards to what are the problems with the stony ground. They had no deepness of earth, they had no root, and they lacked moisture, okay? I'll highlight a couple of verses for you real quick that talk about roots. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. Colossians chapter 2, and in verse 6, as ye have therefore received, Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk you in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. The word of God and the gospel and the church is the remedy for all of the perils of both the wayside, the stony ground, and the thorny ground, okay? What's the remedy for, how, how does your uh, root system get strong? With moisture, right? With moisture. And what's, what's the moisture that we have to strengthen those roots? Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55, verse 10. As the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give uh, seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that which goeth forth out of my mouth, and it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. When Jesus was talking to uh, the uh, Samaritan woman of the well in John chapter 4, he said, if you take of this water, you'll get thirsty again. But if you partake of the water that I am offering you, it will be a fountain of living water springing up into you in, in, unto eternal life. You see? That's what the Word of God is. That's what the gospel is. It is, it is the, the moisture and the nourishment that we need so our roots can get deep, they can get strong, and we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. I'll tell you, there are just some Christians that are so immature that, I'll tell you, if you get your doctrine from Facebook and Instagram and online, you're in trouble, all right? They don't have enough discernment to look at something and test it by the Word of God. Instead, what they're swayed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. What's the remedy for that? The Word of God is the remedy for that. Okay, let's conclude uh, here in Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. Now in verse 3, this is where we all want to be. We all want to be prosperous, fruitful, deep-rooted trees by the rivers of water bringing forth fruit to the glory of that's the good ground isn't it that's the good ground we all want to be good ground by the grace of god this is the this is the end result but understand that didn't happen randomly what's the end result psalm chapter 1 and verse 3 he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in season and his leaf shall not wither that's the problem with the stony ground right Right? They fade away, which by the way, the language there, that when the sun got up, 
when, when the sun and the heat got, got turned up, they withered away and they were scorched by the sun. That's the language. That's what happens when the heat of, of persecution starts coming. They don't have enough, which by the way, it's very evident, right, that if you don't have any moisture and the sun comes up, what are you going to do? You're going to get scorched, aren't you? Right? But you're going to have plenty of moisture if you are planted by the rivers of water, right? You're going to have plenty of moisture if you're in the right location, if you're planted by the rivers of water. And they're not going to wither. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's, that's what we want. But here's how you got there. Verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And I will present for your consideration that really verse 2 is the reason why the external actions are godly in verse 1. Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh, out of the abundance of the heart are our external actions. The reason why he, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Why are the external actions godly? Because of his commitment to the word of God in his heart. You see that? And then you commit to the word of God in your heart. You allow those strong root systems to grow. And we all struggle. We all have challenges. But you should get strong enough with a deep enough root system that you're not going to be totally collapsed when tribulation comes. Now, what we're going to find, though, is the more appropriate uh, and the more, uh, the more timely uh, lesson for many of us, because I know, I know all of you well enough to know that you haven't necessarily sprung up and then faded away, no, you're bringing forth good ground. The problem is dealing with the thorns that quench our fruitfulness in the kingdom. That's what's really applicable to us today. Because I know uh, if they're stony ground Christians that have fallen away, they're not here today, right? If they're following that pattern, they wouldn't be here today. We need to know them. We need to find them. We need to minister to them and certainly encourage them to come back in the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But understand... The problem with the stony ground child of God that received the word of God with joy, with gladness, boy, that, that gospel ministered to his soul. And he was so excited. You know, uh, we haven't had one of these members here at Macedonia, but um, I know other churches that have. And it is so invigorating to see some of these people that come from a different background and then we just kind of get ho-hum, oh, salvation by grace, oh, praise the Lord, finished work of Christ. Yes, so happy that Christ saved us by grace alone. And we just kind of get used to it. But then you have these people come in from the outside, and you're like, and they're like, what? That is amazing. God's grace is amazing. I can't believe how good this is. And we need that shot in the arm, don't we? To see someone come in and say, and then what we take for granted, and they're like, wow, this is the most amazing thing I've ever heard. I don't have to do anything to go to heaven. No, you do things because you are going to heaven, right? And you, have, you see those people get so excited about it. And it's great encouragement for us to see that. But when you get encouraged like that, we have to make sure that we minister to them. We have to make sure that we provide the stability for them so their roots can grow. Because if they're, if they're that excited about it and that zealous, Satan's going to try to tear them down. You see, 
Satan's trying to tear down the kingdom at every single step of the way. Every step of the way. And they are so excited about the gospel, but they're in a very vulnerable state. What's the remedy for that? What's the moisture that allows those deep roots to grow where they're strong and stable for years to come in the service of God? It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. And it's the same remedy for all of us as well. How do we beat back thorns? You know, if, if you've had enough thorns, you probably know that you're not going to be able to get a plastic knife and go cut those thorns. you got to have a good blade, <laughs> right? Well, what, what has God given us? He's given us the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, right? How do you get rid of those thorns? You pick up the sword of the Spirit, right? And you beat back those thorns. But these stony ground Christians are so vulnerable. And then when we see them fading away, we've got to minister to them. We've got to be there to provide the stability for them. And when you see them, James chapter 5, when you see them erring, if you do that and you convert them, you can save a soul from death. You can save them from all kind of perils in this world. You can save them from the perils of Broadway and the wide gate. We need to do our best to provide that stability and structure for these young, little one, babes in Christ Christians to allow them to grow strong so they can be the good ground, right? That's the, that's the goal is long-term fruitfulness. Long-term fruitfulness. I'm thankful for people that get excited, but I'll tell you, salvation, uh, discipleship is not a two to three month 100 meter dash it is a long range marathon and boy you got to train for that marathon don't you you have you got to have strong roots but you have to train for it which by the way going back to moisture <laughs> how are you going to run that marathon you're going to need good water supply right you're going to need to be hydrated in the midst of that marathon and the word of god is what provides that that moisture and that hydration for us we thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.